Welcome to Preaching and Preachers, a weekly podcast devoted to those who preach and to the task of preaching itself. I'm your host, Jason Allen, president of Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. Today I want to welcome my friend and colleague, Dr. Jared Bumpers, back in the studio with me. He serves as co-host, as you know, and today he'll be leading this conversation as we talk about developing a homiletical outline. Jared, welcome back to the studio. Thank you. Excited to be back in here and talking about this topic, such an important topic for guys who are in the grind preparing sermons. So looking forward to talking about it. Yeah, you bet. Look, it's uh, a fun time to be on campus. We're here in the studio. Classes just started a few days ago. Today's Monday. Tomorrow's convocation, kicking it out. And so I love the rush of the new academic year, the new semester even, but it's particularly pronounced around the fall semester after the summer break. And all the adrenaline with it, all the new faces. And uh, I was telling a group of colleagues the other day, that you may be wondering, are students getting younger or are you getting older? The answer is yes, because (laughs) both those seem to be true. But man, it's so exciting here in Kansas City, so exciting on the campus, and these are good times. So thankful you're here with me. Before we get into the conversation today, uh, what are you teaching this fall? Yeah, I'm teaching Preaching 1 to seminary students, teaching Preaching 2 to seminary students, and then I'm teaching a combination class of applied ecclesiology and Christian leadership. So I actually came to the studio working on a lecture on leadership in the Old Testament, and so enjoying that. Always good to have students on campus. The energy they bring and and the joy, the questions, it's uh, it's just a special place to be, especially at the beginning of semester. That's good. Well, I'm teaching a pastoral leadership class this fall and also a conference class in conjunction with the Gospel Coalition. I'm speaking at a workshop there, and so uh, we'll have some students go as a part of that. So, And that's Great. always fun as well because, you know, those conference classes, we usually have a, a large contingency of online students who take those classes, and so you get to meet them and get to know them a bit in that setting. So, so yeah, we're thankful for all God's doing here. Enrollment's up again this fall. Campus is beautiful, great spirit, and we're really thankful. Praise the Lord. Thankful to be in the studio today. So, Jared, I'm going to kind of toss the ball to you and let you drive the conversation today as we think together about developing a homiletical outline. Yeah, this, this is one of those topics that I think is perennially important. You know, guys who are preparing sermons are always thinking about structuring, you know, their, their sermon and how should they structure their sermon, what factors should go into the way a sermon is structured. So I just want to talk about that some today. And uh, I'd love to start with just the, the initial question, why is that important? Why should preachers think about the way they structure their sermon? Yeah, so that's a very good question, and again, the the why of a sermon outline. And I'll tell you that why in my mind over the years has moved a little bit, not a lot, but a little bit. You know, 20 years ago, I thought the sermon outline was just so urgently important. And I don't Mm -hmm. merely mean the structure of the passage and thus the structure of the text. I mean the presentability outline. The, the polish of it. And, you know, many of us who, who cut our teeth in ministry in the late 90s and early 2000s, alliteration was still very popular, and a lot of our mentors who were 20 or 30 years older had really uh, had really honed that. And so, man, you're always looking for a P word or, or a yeah. word that, lends it, that ends in T-I-O-N, and always trying to make this outline, you know, have more curb appeal, to be more memorable. And I would say the outline, in my mind, is no less important. I would also say, though, the the polish of it is less important. So the more I age, the more I preach, the more I want that homiletical outline to rightly and accurately represent the text. I care about that more than I care about it being cute or Mm. polished or particularly memorable. I would also say another way my my view of outlines has really changed over the years is I really don't get into subpoints much these days. Mm. I mean, there was a time when, you know, I would commonly preach sermons that have three or four or five points. And those points would, would often have one or two or, or three or four subpoints. I mean, there, there would be a lot of moving parts in that. 
the more I preach, the more I study Scripture, I find myself really wanting to bore in on the main point of the text and then the main points of the passage around it. And so I would say, in general these days, my, my outline is, is less, not more, both in uh, the, the length of it, the number of points in it, and it's probably looking more more like a, an exegetical outline than a homiletical outline at times. As far as if I got to err in getting the text right or, or being cute here, I'm just going to err in trying to trying to get the text right as far as what the outline says about it. Now, having said that, so why is an outline important? Well, after all I just said, it's still very important because the sermon needs to have the same structure that the text has. The sermon needs to have the same structure that the text has. What is more, and, and that, to be clear, is so we are exegetically faithful. Hmm. What is more, the sermon needs to have structure so your hearers can follow you. And so both of those are important. Of course, the former is more important, that this sermon can rightly represent the structure of the text, what I often refer to as the contours of the text, hmm. the movement of the text. And that is essential because part of number one for preaching is to rightly interpret the text in its context. And we can't rightly interpret it in its context unless we understand the structure of the passage in its context. And so, number one, to rightly interpret and thus present the text. Number two, so our hearers are able to actually stay with us and follow along. I would also say, as we're just reflecting here at the broad level about sermon outlines, the other thing I would say is not only does my sermons tend to have fewer points and fewer subpoints these days, I would say I, I have grown in this sense as to just wanting the text itself to not just influence the sermon outline, but to really dominate it. Hmm. So much so, I've already, already said this, but so much so, some sermons just need to have one point because some passages, especially narrative passages, they're just one major point. And you're driving it home, driving it home, driving it home, driving it home. And maybe 20, 25 years ago, I would have felt I'd done a disservice to the text if I didn't have three points that alliterated and a poem tacked on the end. Well, no, the text is really one major point, and I need to take like a hammer to a nail and just pound, 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 pound that point home. Yeah, I think that's good. I often talk in preaching classes when I'm talking about the structure of the text, shaping the structure of the sermon. I'll say something similar to what you said. It's not just that we're looking for what the text says to determine what our sermon says, but it's how the text says it that also shapes how we say what we're saying, and that goes all the way down to the outline component. And then the two things that I'll usually follow up with, one, an outline helps your listeners track you as you're moving through the text, and it helps you as a preacher stay on track. Not everybody's prone to wander, but Certain preachers tend to, especially young and inexperienced guys, tend to get off track or off topic pretty easily. And so that outline helps them stay within the boundaries of what the text uh, is actually saying. It's funny, before we move on here, um, we're recording this in the studio on a Monday. Last night, I was visiting with my one of my children, my uh, second son, who has just turned 16. And I preached yesterday morning at Emmanuel Baptist Church here in Kansas City. And we're talking about my sermon last night. And it was really sweet to be reflecting on the text. I preached from James 3. And he, I said, I'm curious, do you remember the sermon outline? And he, he said, yeah. And he, he, he hit number two clearly, point number two. Hmm. Point number three, it happened to have three points. Point number three, he hit it clearly. He said, but point number one, it was a little unclear to me. And I got, when he said it, it made me smile because as I preached the sermon, as I was preaching, I thought, man, I don't think I really clearly signaled point number one exactly. Mm. I don't think I, I worded that clearly. And so you have a 16-year-old young man who's sitting down front paying attention, but he confirmed what I thought, that that wasn't that clear. And uh, if the outline is important enough to have, it's important enough to make clear. Yeah. Praise the Lord. He got point number two and point number that's right, three. That's right. My kids are not, not quite that old yet. So I, if they got one point, I'd be happy. 
Well, uh, in your book, uh, Letters to My Students, the first volume, you talk about preaching, and you have some some comments there on outlines. And so j- just want to kind of go back to that content. I know this is not you know completely based on, on that particular book, but I do think you have some helpful things to mm-hmm. say about outlines there. And so I'd love to hear you walk through the four goals in producing an outline. So we talk about why have an outline. Let's talk about what you're trying to accomplish and what you think those who are preaching should try to accomplish as they're developing their outlines. Sure. Uh, number one, I mean, I argue and believe that a homiletical outline should be drawn from the text. I've already said as much, but let me just pull over here for a moment. I believe there's a prior work to the homiletical outline, and that is the exegetical outline. When you're studying a text that you are there with Bible open, with text on your screen, you're dealing with English, a good English translation, and, and often, hopefully, the original languages as well. There's word study tools, exegetical tools, commentaries, et cetera, et cetera, that's helping you understand and grapple with this text. And a part of getting at the meaning of the text is understanding, again, the structure of it. The main point, the subpoints, if there are subpoints, the movement of it, and getting that down. And so I want an exegetical outline that might be clunky. It may be longer than that line should be as far as how I've written this out. It may have theological or, or biblical terms in it that the contemporary here may not even know what I'm referring to if I use those. Hmm. But I'm working in the study to develop this exegetical outline that really clearly sets forth the meaning and movements of that text. Okay, that's what I want. That's good. Then as that process continues to evolve, as that sermon preparation continues to, to get fleshed out, that exegetical outline is becoming a homiletical outline. Again, hopefully it's really presentable and it's concise and it's memorable and really aligns well with the text, but I want it to align well with the text and those other things are kind of icing on the cake. So the first thing I want it to do is is to clearly represent the text. So my goal, and I've said this before and I, I alluded to this in the chapter in the book you're referencing here, my goal is that church member X sitting out there, if they write down the sermon outline in the margin of their Bible. So yesterday was James chapter 3 verses 1 through 12. And if they write down the, the main, three main points of that passage in the margin of their Bible, and then you know, five years later they're thumbing through their Bible, and they look at that, and they see some sermon notes there, and they glance at that outline. I, I want that outline in that moment to remind them the meaning of that passage. Here's how it breaks yeah. down. Dink, dink, dink. Mm. Here's how it breaks down. That's what I want. Okay. Yep. So the goal is for the homiletical outline to be drawn from the text— and secondarily, for it to communicate the meaning of the text. As I said, the meaning and the movement, and we'll tuck movement underneath the meaning. But and again, there's a discipline there because it's easy to, as a preacher, to want to soapbox it, to want to hobby horse it, and to get a verse or two or three and use that as a launching point to some other points in the sermon that you just kind of want to make because these people have been getting on your nerves lately <laughs> or whatever, right? Yeah. But if you're pre-committed to your homiletical outline and you're pre-committed to your prior exegetical outline, that has to be married to the text. That reins me in. Yeah. That keeps me focused, keeps me from free-ranging it, keeps me from hobby-horsing it, keeps me from soapboxing it. Hmm. So I want the outline, number one, to be drawn clearly from the text. Number two, to communicate the meaning of the text. Number three, I hope it can be memorable. I hope it is. It's not always. But it's helpful if it is. If a casual note taker is jotting down a few sermon notes in their Bible, again, that will help them remember what that passage means. Or perhaps that week in their Bible study, as they're doing their daily devotion, they can look back at that. And, okay, that that helps them understand what that text means. Moreover, it's really good if they can look back after a period of weeks or months as they're engaged in a a follow-up study and see how that outline has helped them do that. So I want it to be memorable, if at all possible. I I think generally they need to be shorter, not longer. 
Generally, it, it needs to be active, not passive tense. Generally, it, it needs to be filled with words that people generally understand. Okay, so I, it's like I'm trying to do the alliteration thing, and I got three good words going. But the fourth word and the, and the fourth point to alliterate, I have to come up with some word the English language no one uses. I, mean, I just think that's counterproductive. It's kind of goofy. Yeah, that, well, there are some guys. I mean, you you know, I'm same way. You talk about historically. I grew up listening to guys, the people, the provision, the problem, the the promise. Know, and, yeah. yeah, John Butler. Your, yeah, John Butler, John Phillips, and those guys. They could, man, they could alliterate like nobody's business. But they did use words that you needed a dictionary to figure out what was going on. Oh my goodness! <laughs> I mean, one of my heroes in the faith was Stephen Olford, and mm. uh, he was so kind to me as a young man of ministry, and, and Mrs. Heather to my wife, uh, as we were newlyweds, and, and so kind. But he alliterated everything. Yeah. I mean, he would have major points alliterated. He would, every major point would have multiple sub points. Those would alliterate. I mean, it, it, <laughs> it, it was like, I mean, I mean, I couldn't even do that if I wanted to as far as the time to make all this line up. And, you know, his book, Anointed Expository <laughs> Preaching, which is a very good book, I mean, the whole thing's alliterated. I was going to say that, yeah. Yeah, all his chapters. Even his preaching it, books alliterated. Yeah, I mean, it's amazing. It, it was like a feat of nature to do that. And yeah. I remember talking to him about it. And Dr. O, how do you do that? And he, and he would say, you know, well, prior number one is you never twist a text to get your sermon to to alliterate, you know, I'm thinking, well, I agree and I believe you, but like, there's just no way you can have all that alliteration without without ever being tempted, you know, to, to bend the text to your fourth alliterated point. Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> so anyway, it's helpful if it's memorable. I would say, fourthly, it's great if it can contain words of instruction and application. Okay, so you have different schools of thought here. Some people say the sermon outline must always contain words of instruction or application. I, I'm not there because I want that outline to reflect the meaning of the text, okay? Now, when that meaning of the text is application-oriented or, or it's exhortative, well, then there is going to be a focus to it. There is going to be a word of, of instruction or application to it. And so I like that. I think when that can work that way naturally in the text, that generally makes for better preaching. But I don't want to import that into the outline if the text itself doesn't lend itself to it. Now, I did a PhD at Southern Seminary, as did you. We both know and love our friend, Dr. Herschel York. His preaching is more wedded to the outline being words of application. He mm-hmm. encouraged us in homiletics yeah. classes years ago to do the same. And uh, I, I get where he's coming from. I admire him, dear brother and colleague. I'm just not quite there yet because I think there should be a prior commitment that that outline purpose actually be to convey the meaning of the text, not so much what we are to do with the text or what we are to do with that meaning. Yeah, that's great. I, I agree. You know, I, I do think there's a, a danger sometimes in always preaching descriptively where you're talking about all three points are about something that Saul did. Well, okay, you're, you're asking your listener to cross the bridge. If they go back and reference it, their outline, as you mentioned earlier, they're, they're trying to figure out, okay, well, Saul did this or the Israelites responded this way. Well, what does that have to do with me? At the same time, there are passages where there's no imperatives, there's no clear, immediate, obvious response. And so, Again, I think the key is just being faithful to what the Bible says and trying to let your sermon reflect whatever the, the structure of the text, you know, the substance of the text, the content, whatever the tone the text is setting to let the text drive the ship there. So I think those are helpful words to, to those who are listening. I often talk about the, the outline reflecting the text and being directed towards the listener mm-hmm. when possible. But again, we want to let the text stay in the driver's seat. So as we as we think about preparing outlines and somebody's listening and maybe a, a younger preacher is listening and they're thinking, okay, well, I want to do a better job of outlining my sermons. 
what advice would you give them as far as challenges or obstacles go? What are some common challenges to developing an outline and how should they think about alleviating or mitigating those challenges that come when you're trying to, to study and break down and analyze a text and then develop a sermon? So challenges of sermon outlines and advice you would give someone as they would take this more seriously. Yeah, I think the wor- first word of advice I would give is don't rush too quickly to it. Do your best to suspend yourself in the text until you understand the bones of the text, the structure of the text that naturally arises. And then I would say, don't again, don't feel like you have to dash to a homiletical, you know, presentable outline, but but rather you're getting that textual, that exegetical outline down where you're you're grasping, you're knowing the structure of the text. I would say then as it as it moves to like how that outline helps the preacher, let me tell you exactly how it helps me. It forces clarity. You know, as, as I believe it was Haddon Robinson said, I, I think it was him who said that, you know, a, a mist in the pulpit is a fog in the pew. Mm-hmm. And if the preacher is not clear, then it's going to be really unclear to those listening. As I said a moment ago, yesterday, uh, as I was preaching the sermon, I realized I don't think I flagged the first point very well. In fact, I think as I'm, I'm preaching, thinking back a few minutes earlier, the back of my mind as preachers do, I'm thinking, I think I may even misspoke and kind of stumbled over the first point. Mm-hmm. But I don't want to stop and, you know, and you know, kind of get clunky there and correct us, kept moving. But last night talking about Sunday, he's like, yeah, your first point, I had trouble following it. What, what, what was it? And he's like, yep, that's right. I, I messed that up. I wasn't clear. In the study, though, the outline forces clarity as to the structure of the text and what I'm going to say about the text. I don't like the type of preaching where you get in the pulpit and you just kind of begin to talk through it and hope it all comes out clear. Hmm. I don't always preach from a full manuscript, but I certainly lean that way and encourage that way more than minimalistically on the notes front. But just to get there and kind of talk around the text, that is not good preaching. That's public rambling. Hmm. So that outline helps the preacher to clarify for himself what that text means and what he anticipates saying about that text from the text. Yeah, I'm, I'm a, I know this is not a, a manuscript conversation here, but I do think they're generally helpful, especially for guys who haven't done a lot of preaching because you get up there with, with an outline and a few thoughts jotted down, and you've not really fleshed out exactly what you want to say, why you're saying it, how the people should respond. It does end up being just a participation in public discussion or conversation. So yeah, I I think that's helpful to flesh out your outline as well, but develop that outline. Where you kind of alluded to this, where in the process do you develop that sermon outline? Is that consistent for you? Is it the same place every week or does it vary depending on the text and the week? Yeah, it, it, it depends upon, you know, the runway I have to prepare the sermon. So it's not so much a, a day of the week as it is a part of the sequence. To me, the exegetical outline, again, exegetical outline first, it is essential for me. To me, that's like kind of between first and second base in sermon prep. And if I don't have an exegetical outline, I mean, I just, I mean, honestly, it can make me panic, like especially if Sunday's coming or the preaching hour is coming. I mean, if I have trouble either making time for it or just it's a difficult text, have trouble getting clarity as to the structure of the text, I mean, again, that, that to me, I do, I do not want to be there. Do not want to be there. So typically, once I get that exegetical outline done, then I can move forward drafting the body of the sermon. And for my own kind of notes and commentary on the text, I can work that. And then the homiletical outline is something I'm kind of fiddling with as I go along, yeah. you know. And so I have the structure down, so I know what this text says. I generally know how I'm going to say it, but it's not quite poured in concrete exactly how I'm going to frame this point by point. And so I'm, I'm kind of fiddling with it as I go along. And so sometimes I, the, the sermon outline, the homiletical outline, there's times I'll tweak it, you know, the morning of Sunday morning, you know. Times I'll, I'll tweak it hours before. 
when ideally all that's settled, you know, days before. But it, it is, again, that, that homiletical outline is how best to present that text to the people of God. And sometimes you look at it and it's, man, that, that's clunky. That word's forced. There is, you know, I've strained alliteration or whatever. This is too cute. And so you're, you're tweaking it, tweaking it. But since I'm not tweaking what the text says or the meaning of the text, I'm okay massaging it a little bit as one gets closer to the hour of preaching. Yeah, I think that's another, is, we're thinking about outlines, that's another reason that the homiletical outline should be based on the exegetical outline, because even if you have to go on later on in the process, or, you know, a Sunday morning, I, I, that's not ideal for me to be, you know, tinkering with the outline on Sunday morning, but it, it's happened before. And so, at least I know the content of the text and the movement of the text is not going to change because my preaching outline is based on the, the textual outline, and so I'm still good to go and keep the same order and flow and make the adjustments necessary. You listed several resources earlier, just kind of in general on sermon prep, but is there anything that jumps to your mind as far as resources go about outlining, especially this is a, probably a longer conversation for another time, but sequential exposition, you choose a book of the Bible to preach through, and typically before you even dive into the structure of that first passage, you're thinking, okay, what's the structure of this book? Right, how how right. do I break that down? And so any, any suggestions as far as tools? I'm not asking to go down that hole, but just what resources would you recommend for people who are thinking about preaching expository sermons through books of the Bible? Yeah, I would say a few things, and then we'll um, wrap up the conversation today. First of all, Look, there's no substitute for just reading the book of the Bible. You either are preaching through or you are going to preach through hmm. time and time again. I'm starting the Sunday after Labor Day, a verse-by-verse study through the Gospel of Mark uh, at Emmanuel Baptist Church where I preach when I'm in town. And uh, it's just I'm so excited about that. I've spent a lot of time this summer just in the Gospel of Mark, and it's been so refreshing, so enriching so deepening for me. And so I, I don't have all 16 chapters mapped out, but I have pretty much the first eight chapters, kind of you know, mm-hmm. the pivot point of the Gospel of Mark, and have that mapped out with how I intend to, um, to segment the different sermons. Now, that can be changed along the way. In fact, it probably will be changed along the way a little yep. bit, but I know generally where I'm going to go. And so, so then with that, I have sermon files created or being created about each one of those sections. And then within it, here's what I'm going to do. Here's what I'm looking for to understand the meaning of the text. And let me say at this juncture, we have an embarrassment of riches when it comes to resources. Yeah, I mean, amen. even since you and I went to seminary, I mean, yeah. just so much has changed the past 20 years. I mean, it's just it's everywhere and it's good. Yeah. But it will be from exegetical commentaries to there usually are a couple of few homiletical commentaries thrown in there. The word study tools themselves, I mean, just having good lexicon or, or good software on your computer that, yeah. that will just, I mean, immediately help you. I mean, you don't have to go, you know, drive to your local Christian college to get in their library. Just boom, your computer, it's there. Mm-hmm. And so all of that's there. And so basically I'm looking at reading broadly the book of the Bible, reading broadly and repeatedly the passage I'm preaching on. Then I'm going to be looking specifically at the words of the text as far as the meaning and movement of those words, the structure of those words, the syntax of those words, how those roll up into the broader structure of the text, the broader sections of the text. Now that rolls up into the collective passage itself, the pericope itself. And that's what you're after. And look, I would encourage our listeners to avail themselves to good commentaries. I mean, don't run to them too fast. Enable yourself to live with some tension there and struggling and wrestling with the text. That's enjoyable. That's edifying. That will mature you. But at the same time, don't, like, live forever in suspended animation and trying to figure out what exactly Paul means in verses 7 through 9. Yeah. And uh, as Sunday's coming, there's times when you, you need to reach for trusted commentaries and the great minds of church history to help you understand that. 
All right, Jared, thank you so much for joining me in the studio today. It's good to talk with you about developing a homiletical outline. To our friends, our listeners, thank you so much. You know, I've been doing this podcast now for about a decade, and it's been a delight over the many years to do this, to have conversations with you and uh, with friends in the studio like Dr. Bumpers and others. And I, I pray this is a blessing to you and all those to whom you minister. Thank you for listening today on Preaching and Preachers. Thank you for being with us today and for listening to Preaching and Preachers. For more information, go to my website, jasonkallen.com. That's jasonkallen.com.